This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, civil rights attorneys are attempting to block a state plan to transfer incarcerated kids to a facility on the campus of Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola and have taken that fight to court. And the city of New Orleans has agreed to buy out the remaining residents in Gordon Plaza, but the amount they will pay is still to be determined. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. Hey, Nick. Morning, Kayla. Government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein. Hi, Michael. Good morning. And Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hey, Charles. Morning. All right, Nick, you're in Baton Rouge. Judge Shelley Dick began hearing arguments this week in federal court on whether the state can transfer incarcerated kids to a facility on the campus of the Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. Give us the background on this proposal and what's going on with the lawsuit. In July, uh, Governor John Bell Edwards announced this plan to move some kids to uh, a facility on the campus of Angola. This is a a building kind of right at the front gates of Angola when you drive in. And uh, it's, it's a former death row facility where, where they used to hold prisoners that, that were on death row. More recently, it held uh, women prisoners who, uh, a- after a flood at, at the women's prison, so and also it has been used as a reception area, so it has had these various uses. But this followed a kind of a string of, of violent incidents and escapes at uh, some of the juvenile justice facilities in the state, and in particular at Bridge City Center for Youth uh, in Jefferson Parish. So this this was sort of a plan by the Office of Juvenile Justice to create a new, more secure facility. Um, Initially, it was going to, you know, in the initial announcement, it sounded like it was going to be just kids from the Bridge City facility. About half of those kids would be moved there. Now we kind of have more information that it's, it's going to be kids from all over the, the juvenile justice system, kind of the most difficult kids with the most behavioral problems um, are going to be sent there. So this plan, you know, sort of raised uh, concerns among advocates pretty much immediately. Um, I think anytime you say you're going to move uh, kids to Angola, which is, you know, the one of the largest maximum security prisons in the, in the country, if not the largest, um, it, it was a real issue. There are federal laws against uh, having kids interacting with adults in prisons. You, can't, you have to be fully separated, sound in sight. Um, so there was, there was just a ton of questions and sort of immediate pushback to the plan. I should say that the state has said that the kids will, the, the youth will be totally separated from, from adult uh, prisoners, that they won't come into any contact with them. But this lawsuit was filed um, basically trying to get a preliminary injunction to stop the state from from doing this. Okay. Is it is it hyperbole to, to say Angola is notorious? No, I don't think so. Okay. Actually, this is a kind of a, a point in in the in the lawsuit is, you know, I think the state has kind of made this argument like, look, people are just upset because it's ang- because they hear Angola right. and they think, you know, like you said, this notorious prison, but that's not, you know, they're saying that's not really what's happening here. We're putting them in a separate building. They won't, it won't even be like they're at, at Angola, but, you know, kind of as part as, as this hearing has played out, we've heard 
these civil rights attorneys kind of make the argument and experts who have testified say, you know, the, the optics here matter. The, the, the kids and the family members of these kids are hearing that they're being sent to Angola. Right. And even, even the thought of it is creating these, you know, these hyper stressful situations and has the risk of sort of re-traumatizing these kids who have already experienced a, a lot of trauma. And that they're also saying the state has done a really bad job of explaining to anyone what the plan is and to be and and has failed to kind of be clear about what exactly it is they're doing and the fact that these kids won't be intermingled with the adult prisoner population. Um, you know, and that's just one side of it. There's the these attorneys have, you know, questions about all sorts of aspects of this plan in terms of the services these kids are going to get and whether or not, you know, they can really be separated from the adult prisoners and uh, as, as well as staffing issues, all sorts of things. I, I actually, so I had a couple questions on that. Um, so first uh, on what you said. So first of all, as you mentioned yesterday, uh, an, an assistant secretary for uh, OJJ officially announced that this would be a, a sort of statewide max security unit um, for anyone within the OJJ system. Um, that is something that you had reported previously, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and your, your report was based on documents. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they, they had not previously said this out loud. Is that right? Until yesterday, until this week? You know, they'd sort of suggested it in some of their earlier filings, kind of mm -hmm. saying that any, that they didn't, basically that they didn't know who was going to be sent there and that um, it was going, that it was going to be a decision made based on kind of behavioral, uh, uh, you know, kid, kids with, with who are the most difficult behaviorally. So there was some idea of that, but it, it was more kind of fully articulated yesterday and, it, and it's pretty significantly different than kind of what was initially said by, by the governor um, when they first announced this plan, like I said, when we thought it was just going to be kids from, from Bridge City. So they've now acknowledged that. Um, what do we know that we didn't know before about things like, you know, education, how long kids will be held in there, any of these sort of details that the plaintiffs have been seeking? Yeah, so what the state is saying is that, one, this facility is going to be temporary so that it's only going to be open for, they hope, just a, a matter of like six months. They're working on getting another facility um, open, Swanson Monroe, and they they think that that's going to be done within a year. And what and they say once that's done, this Angola facility won't won't be needed anymore. So their plan is right now, and it's they they haven't been super firm with any dates. But the assistant secretary said that he hoped they could start moving kids by the end of the month. And what they said is that they're gonna move eight kids at first, and then another eight, and then another eight. So it's a 24 person facility. In terms of staffing, which has been a big concern, um, because the, the entire system has been understaffed. It's been one of, one of the main issues that the, the office has pointed to when, when these violent incidents happen and, and when these escapes have happened is that they're understaffed. Um, but they say that they're going to move 40 to 50 people who are already working at their other facilities and have them doing additional 
uh, work at the Angola facility um, to start with as they kind of ramp up hiring. And they have developed this incentive package where people from uh, staff members of OJJ will be getting $5 an hour more to work at the Angola facility. So, you know, how that will actually work in practice, given that these people are also going to be working other facilities, um, I think kind of remains to be seen and how kind of efficiently they can start hiring people, especially if this facility is only supposed to be open for, you know, six or seven months, whether or not you can staff it up um, before it's, it's, you know, becomes pointless to do so is a question. We also heard from the director uh, of medical services for OJJ. She is currently trying to get an infirmary, um, both sort of physically up to speed and, and staffed up. And she said she was trying to get it done by September 1st, but uh, attorneys for the, for the civil rights attorney showed pictures of where this infirmary is supposed to be and the, where the, the nurse's station is supposed to be. And right now it's more or less just kind of a few chairs in a room. And, you know, this, the, the medical director kind of acknowledged that she'd been struggling to get, get the necessary furniture and to get, uh, get it all kind of taken care of in the time frame that she had hoped. But she said, basically, you know, kids won't be moved until it's ready. So, you know, there's, there's some open questions about both staffing and both kind of the physical facility in terms of when it will be ready and, and when kids will actually be moved. Now, I know a, a concern has been education. Um, you know, it, these are, these are uh, you know, teenagers that are required to provide them high school education. A particular issue that, that uh, we've brought up in the past would be uh, special education students, um, you know, students with special needs, many of whom require services, and this is, you know, federal law requirement um, that, that maybe, you know, sort of one-on-one -on -one services. Um, how are they going to be handling special education in an area that's, you know, kind of more rural and maybe, maybe harder to, to, uh, to recruit people with that sort of specialized training? Right. I mean, we haven't seen a ton of details on that. Mm -hmm. I will say that the um, assistant secretary said that they were going to actually actively limit the number of kids who required special education at the facility, I think specifically because of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one way that they're, I think, attempting to deal with it. I'll also note that in the uh, sort of plan for this transitional treatment unit, which is what they're calling the program at uh, the Angola facility, they said that they're gonna have special education um, set up via via Zoom, basically. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that means that that's the only way that they're going to have it or if that's going to be an option. Mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some, you know, some form of that. And when when I kind of raised this to the attorneys on the case, that was, that was a concern for them. You know, they uh, pointed out that these services via Zoom are not, not the same as, as having someone there in person. Right. Nick, is the basis for the case this blanket sort of violation of, of civil rights of these kids? I mean, they're throwing lots of things at the wall here about about what's what potentially could happen to the children. Well, it's 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 a nineteen eighty three case. It's a case that's been filed under the Civil Rights Act. Okay. So yeah, this, this is broadly alleging that this is a violation of, of their civil rights. Okay. You're sitting outside the, the federal courthouse right now. 
the trial is going on. The lead plaintiff is a detainee at the Bridge City Center for Youth in Jefferson Parish. He testified behind closed doors this week because of his age. What do you know about what he said um, through either your sources or, or what materials were prepared in anticipation of this testimony? Yeah, he, he submitted a declaration and then uh, an expert for, for the plaintiffs um, sort of went over some of what he said in an interview with her before the hearing started. And he talked a lot about his, his kind of his perception of what would happen if he got sent to Angola. And he, he's terrified is what he said, basically. He has been unable to sleep, has been pulling out his hair um, and kind of has this idea that when he gets to Angola, the, the bus that they're on will be surrounded by uh, adult prisoners um, and that, that, that they're going to be victimized, that they're going to be sexually assaulted by, by these adult prisoners. And one thing that the expert who, who is a clinical child psychologist you know, said in her interview that he had this idea that Angola was a seven hour drive away that's not true. I think to, to whatever extent there might be interaction between adult uh, adult um, prisoners and, and these kids, I don't think that it's likely that they're going to be surrounded, you know, immediately upon entering the facility. But these are the sorts of things he, he is thinking. And, and the point that these attorneys are making is that is that that's harmful in itself, that this kind of perception that, that they're being kind of thrown you know, thrown into this situation um, and won't be protected is is already causing causing a, a, a lot of harm. Okay, we're going to let you get back in there. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. And a quick update on this story: Judge Shelley Dick of the U.S. District Court declined a motion from the state to toss the plaintiff's request to block the proposed transfer and did not rule from the bench on the plaintiff's request for an injunction against the state. Instead, she opted to issue a written ruling on the case on September 23rd. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel, government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein, and Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hi, I'm Karen Gadwa, the co-founder and executive director of The Lens. The Lens aims to engage and empower the residents of New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. We provide the information and analysis necessary to advocate for more accountable and just governance. Please make a tax-deductible donation to support our work at thelensnola.org donate. Thank you. All right, Michael, in the news, New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell and members of the city council have been in agreement for months that the city will buy out the remaining homes in Gordon Plaza, a government-backed development built on a toxic former landfill, to fund the owner's relocation. But the amount they will pay to the remaining 67 homeowners is still in question. They had allocated $35 million to do this earlier this summer, but not one dime has gone out. What's, what's going on with this? Yeah, so so that $35 million amount uh, was based off of a, a study done in December 2021 by two Tulane professors and a local real estate agent um, that, that kind of came up with this figure based off of kind of a, 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 
a broad assessment of how big the houses were and, and kind of the, the square footage, um, the, the, the cost per square foot that would basically get them enough money to, to be able to buy a new home somewhere else in New Orleans, which is, you know, the ultimate goal of most Gordon Plaza residents. It's not just cashing out. It, it's really getting enough money from the city to go buy new houses in another part of New Orleans. Um, and, you know, so, so that, that's what the $35 million amount was based off of. But, but the city said, uh, well, the city said a couple of things. The city said that that was not a true appraisal um, in that it wasn't actually a certified, uh, a Louisiana certified appraiser going around checking the square footage of each home, coming up with a, a market value or, or any kind of value per square foot for those homes, um, which is, you know, has an official process that you go through. Um, you know, the other holdup here, um, and there's some argument to whether this was necessary, um, but the Cantrell administration uh, went out and hired a private law firm, uh, Share Garner, um, and had to go through that process, that public bid process, which, you know, if you've ever followed, you know, a public contract bidding process, it just kind of takes time. Um, you know, again, there's been some back and forth about whether um, you know, it was really necessary to get outside legal help, whether the, the city's in-house attorneys could have handled this uh, and whether the city should have just in June right away hired an appraiser and gets gotten started on this. But, um, you know, basically where we're at today is that the city has finally gotten around to an appraiser um, and actually last week sent out letters to all the Gordon Plaza residents saying that, you know, um, an appraiser will be reaching out uh, to, to kind of set up an appointment to, to set up these appraisals. So it looks like the appraisal process starts. Um, that's not the end of the road, but it is an important step forward. So we did see quite a bit of um, criticism at the council this week about the necessity of hiring an outside attorney. What, what has the administration said about what this attorney is doing that, say, the city attorney's office couldn't do? Yeah, I, I, that was not made perfectly clear at the meeting. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is like a capacity issue in the city attorney's office, if it's an expertise issue, but in terms that you'd imagine that something like the municipal government buying property, you'd imagine that that's a piece of expertise that would be ingrained in the city attorney's office, right? So, you know, one thing that they said that they used Cher Garner for was, and, and we'll talk about this in a second, but, but coming up with a this opinion um, that, you know, about how much they could offer each resident, you know, through this process. And, and again, you know, I think that the, the skeptics, the Gordon, some of the skeptics among the Gordon Plaza residents, you know, kind of see this as kind of an aggressive move by the administration, you know, kind of lawyering up with these kind of high powered uh, attorneys that, you know, again, in, in, this, in, in some of the Gordon Plaza residents mind will is kind of they want to they're using this to basically you know offer as little as possible to residents and use these lawyers to justify that however possible but it's a good question charles we, we didn't get like a, a perfectly clear answer on why okay so so just just to note um on this on this issue of the appraiser and everything so there is a law uh in state law that that when you know a political subdivision of the state and the city is a political subdivision of the state when they uh, acquire uh, when they purchase property, um, they they do have to get an appraisal. I don't believe the law actually says that they have to that the offer has to be based on the appraisal. But when you combine that statute with uh, a a provision in the state constitution, 
that prohibits certain donations of public funds. The, the attorney general in the past has, has opined that a government has to more or less accept the uh, opinion of its appraisers and, you know, offer something, offer what the appraiser says, uh, appraisers say a property is worth um, or below that. So there is some legal basis for what, what the city is doing here. Now, my question would be, okay, so let's, ex- let, let's accept that that is the correct interpretation, that they can't offer more than what an appraiser says, which would, be, which would typically be a market value. These ha- I mean, these houses just frankly can't be worth that much because right. they're sitting on a Superfund site. So how do we deal with that? Right. It, yeah. And so, yeah, j- just to back up a tiny bit, I mean, yeah, at, at this meeting, um, you know, earlier this week, you know, basically the, the, what the, the city attorney came out and said that uh, an opinion that her office and this private attorney's office had come together and, and determined that based off the laws that Charles has cited and attorney general opinions that they can't hire, uh, they can't offer higher than market value. But as Charles is saying, no one on the Would market buy is going to buy these people. So, right. Um, that, and that's been, you know, from the start, you know, a big issue. Um, you know, th- there was a lot of discussion about whether there are certain appraisal methods um, that can get to a, a market value that would actually allow them to buy a new home. Because again, that's really that's really what the Gordon Plaza, Plaza residents want. They talked about trying to the city and the and the the assessor that they they hired did talk about using methodology to try and create a market value as if this was never built on toxic land. Now, me and Charles have kind of been talking all week about how that's even possible because you're dealing with a lot of hypotheticals. Um, but there is discussion about trying to assess these, you know, not based off of what someone would actually offer today for one of those homes, which again would be nothing. Right. Um, but, but you know, trying to assess these as if, you know, th- this kind of injustice hadn't happened in the first place. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I, I, you know, maybe worth noting is that, you know, something that the attor- the city attorney said um, was that, you know, they have to come with an offer based off of this appraisal, um, but that that's the starting point in the negotiation of a property purchase. So so it's it sounded to me like there is some room legally for the city to negotiate after making that first offer, but they have to get this appraisal um, and then, you know, kind of go forward. I, you know, I'll, I'll say that, you know, the other thing here, you know, again, point of contention here is that Gordon Plaza residents are really arguing that there are a lot of appraisal methods that you can use here. Um, and they argue basically that the city has appraisal methods at, at its disposal that will minimize, um, you know, the price for these homes. And they also can employ appraisal methods that will get them to a price to allow them to buy new homes. And that it's really in the city's court, you know, to kind of do that. Now, I'm not you know, a, a, an appraiser, um, and I'm not a property lawyer. So, you know, I, but that that's kind of the argument being put forward by the Gordon Plaza residents. So essentially, they're going to, there is theoretically uh, a, an appraisal method that is not, you know, that would not be appraising the value of a home in Gordon Plaza per se, but say, you know, they, uh, they, it, it would be offering an appraisal based on separate from separate from being built on a landfill, but the property, the house's current condition and say that the the value of a fifteen hundred or two thousand square foot home in that part of New Orleans. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I think I think at the end of the day, the broad argument is like that, you know, listen, we understand that the city has to follow law and we don't want, you know, this to be challenged in court, like everyone gets that, but that the city has enough tools at its disposal that it can come up with a fair price that will allow us to relocate. I mean, that's the broad, broad argument. But yeah, Charles, one way to do that would be to look at surrounding areas, um, you know, what that surrounding area would be, you know, really, you know, would change what the number is going to be. But yeah, there, there's different methods you can employ to get to a lot of different numbers. But we also heard this week, and, and, and I'll note that we weren't able to get the mayor's office to comment, um, uh, that there there was a number thrown out at some point. Can you can you tell us what supposedly happened there? Yeah. So last week, um, you know, I, I think that you know everyone, a lot of people kind of found out of that, about this at the meeting. But there was a meeting last week between Gordon Plaza residents and Mayor Cantrell, um, where a number was thrown out there of uh, two hundred and forty five thousand dollars per home. Mm -hmm. uh, now. It, it sounds to me like that wasn't exactly an offer, but that, you know, the mayor was kind of testing the waters to see if that would be an acceptable amount. Um, the overwhelming response that I heard from Gordon Plaza residents was that it was unacceptable. Um, you know, to give you an idea, you know, that the two lane study, you know, is recommending, you know, upwards, you know, somewhere between 400 and $500,000. And, you know, Gordon Plaza residents are arguing, and I think fairly, that $245,000 is not, you know, buy a whole lot in the current, you know, New Orleans real estate market. Um, so, you know, that number was thrown out, which I think is making, you know, Gordon Plaza residents nervous that that's kind of the ballpark that the city is kind of going for here. Yeah, I mean, I could, I was, I was not able to find, um, I mean, not that I, not that I did a whole lot of research into this, but I was, wasn't able to find, um, you know, what the current median or, or average uh, sale price for, uh, for, you know, a two bedroom single family home is in the city. But I can tell you, uh, based on recent reporting, that the, the metro area, it's upwards of $350,000. And typically, well, not typically, but in the last, you know, at least in the last 10 years or so, uh, you're going to see values in the city, uh, most of the city, slight, slightly to significantly higher than the overall metro average. So if we're talking 350 um, for the metro, you know, we might be talking almost four, 400 or, you know, yeah. upper threes at least for a lot of the city. And, and I'll add two more points to that. I mean, number one, even when these houses are going, I mean, a lot of what you see on the market now, and again, this is more anecdotal, but you know, a lot of the houses that you see on the market might have roof damage from Hurricane Ida or money that you have to put in the house once you get there. Right. And I think that, you know, when you look at, you know, a lot of these residents also talk about, you know, the cost to actually move, right? I mean, a lot of these are older residents on fixed incomes that, you know, don't have a lot of flexibility. So, you know, the, yeah, the they're not going to be loading up rider trucks themselves in a lot of cases. It, they're gonna exactly. Have and, and, yeah. and buying new furniture and, you know, all, all these things that all these costs that come with moving that if you're, you know, on Social Security or some other fixed income, it's just really hard to, you know, find wiggle room in your budget to, to you know, uh, uh, spend all that. So I think that when Gordon Plaza residents talk about it, it's not just the price to, to buy the home, it's also moving um, and settling in and all of that. Uh, it seems around the city, there's pretty much a groundswell of support for these residents and to do right by them. 
Just tell me what the tenor is at the meetings. The, the Gordon Plaza residents have really, over the past year, made this a central issue in the city in, in a really effective way. I mean, starting in budget hearings in 2021, you saw them you know, show up to meetings, every single budget meeting, they would be there and they would be, you know, raising a ruckus and making sure that they were heard whether or not their item was on the agenda. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I've been sitting in the city council a long time and, you know, it really was one of the most kind of effective, you know, campaigns I've seen in the council in that like they wouldn't go away. Um, they would be there every time. It just became an issue that you couldn't ignore anymore. Um, and especially because, like you're saying, it's an issue. You know, we talk about environmental racism and we talk about, you know, uh, it, you know, it, it's an issue that has a lot of support in the city. So it became something that, you know, New Orleans politicians couldn't really ignore. And I think, you know, the other thing that they've been successful at is in this meeting. I mean, the residents are really setting the tone. Um, but the main position is, you know, we don't care how you do it or how you need to justify it. But at the end of the day, we know that, you know, we deserve to be relocated. You know, again, I mean, you know, th this isn't just a development that was built on toxic land. It was a government funded, uh, government backed development that was sold to specifically like middle class black families, you know, so there is the government had a role in this catastrophe that, you know, wasn't just, you know, people getting themselves into a mess. So I think that Again, their position of the government, you know, is responsible for this and the government is now responsible for getting us out of this. They, they really have been good at not moving an inch off of that position. So, yeah, that, that's been the tenor uh, of the conversations. So we've got we've got 67 homes here. Right. Um, so and thirty five million dollars that they're dealing with. So given that this money is already allocated, what would even be a motivation for uh, for trying to, to lowball it? I mean, at the current at the current allocation, you've got um, you would have more than five hundred thousand dollars a piece for these homes. You know, I guess possibly subtracting some money for for administrative costs and, and lawyers' fees, but still, um, you're 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 already dealing with an amount of money that would provide somewhere between four and five hundred thousand dollars per home. So, what would be the motivation for lowballing? Yeah, I, it's honestly a really good question. Um, you know, I think you know, like Charles is saying, I mean, the city council has allocated this money. They're pretty, you know, much on the Gordon Plaza residence side that this needs to hit that high number. So they're not going to reallocate this money. So yeah, like, like Charles is saying, it's pretty much stuck, you know, there until it's spent. So yeah, I'm not totally sure. I think that, you know, I, we probably have to give some benefit of the doubt here that I'm sure they are genuinely concerned about the legality of offering very high prices when they don't need to, you know, I yeah, mean, that's fair. That's this fair. is a situation, this is kind of a, a pretty extraordinary situation, but we can all recognize why the government, why there are rules in place that the government should not be offering extremely high prices, you know, above market rate prices for property they're going to buy. Um, so th that's an element for sure. Well, I just did a quick little calculation. I suppose what they want to do is they want to buy out the owners and also then repurpose the land, clean it up and turn it into the solar farm or whatever it is that they're advocating for, right? Yeah, and, and they, you know, I think that that's an attract, there, there are now a lot of federal funds available specifically for Superfund sites like this one. Um, right. There's funds to turn Superfund sites into renewable energy sources, which is exactly what they want to do with this site. Um, so in terms of developing after they buy the land, you know, at, in terms of developing it, I, I mean, I think there's still good hope that we'll get some federal funds for that. Um, I'm not sure, 
it, it would seem doubtful for me that they'll be able to get kind of retroactively federal funds to to actually purchase the land. But you know, in terms of bringing the project forward from here, there, there you know, there's absolutely good reason to think that the city could attract some federal funds for it. Um, but again, I'm not I'm not really sure what the justification here would be to try and you know. Um, lower the money here. I mean, you know, one thing, you know, that that I've talked to Gordon Plaza residents about is that as, as popular as this issue might be, and as much as a lot of people in New Orleans want to see these uh, families moved and get a fair price for their homes, there's certainly going to be, you know, a, a contingent of, of the city that thinks the city is spending too much money on it. If they see, you know, $500,000 going to these families that, you know, there are going to be people who aren't happy with it. So I, and I don't know if that it goes into the political calculus here at all, but you know, I think we should note that it is widely popular, but not universally popular, mm-hmm. um, and that might be part of the consideration. Okay. All right, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys have a good weekend. All right. Thank you. You too. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastel, government and cultural economy reporter Michael Isaac Stein, and Lens editor Charles Maldonado. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening.